I've just become a killer. Killing. That's all I know. Death. Every day. Another. But when Li Ho died, then for the first time, I felt it prick my conscience. And then to hide that one, we killed again. First one far, and then Lin Kuang. You just asked me, when will it end? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Once an evil deed is done, then it never ends. It goes on, and it will go on forever. Episode 82, The Cult of Matt and Mark, Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to visit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. And if you want to check out my novel, head over to Mask Books, M-A-S-Q-U-E. And for the latest news, it should be coming out in October. And click the links and buy my book. Uh, show news? Any show news this week? Uh, I don't really have any show news this week. Uh, we did get a comment. From one of our YouTube uh, podcasts, one of the podcasts put up on YouTube. Oh my god! About our review of Point Break, and it's actually fairly insightful. I'm going to read it here. Oh please! I like the idea of two people having a real debate about whether it's tragic to die doing what one loves, or if saying so is to be too casual about the death. But the heroin analogy, really, heroin addicts don't really love doing heroin. It's weird how you can miss the point of that argument so wildly. It's not a flippant remark referring to the tragedy for people left behind. It's about the person who dies. Also, every act done purely for personal pleasure is a selfish one. So didn't like the heroin analogy when we were talking about uh, people dying, doing what they love. Although I tend to disagree. <laughs> I guess I don't really quite follow that. That uh, heroin's either, but I, not uh, an act for personal pleasure, and uh, an act for personal pleasure is not a s- heroin can't be a personal pleasure. I don't. I don't. I don't, just don't, I don't really either. Argument. It sounds like he's he's been bit by the drug bug or one somebody <laughs> he loves. I, I think uh, there's maybe he's drawing a line between uh, true addiction. And being an adrenaline junkie as being two things. Although I, I, I like, I, I like to, how somebody say a drug is an addiction, but adrenaline is not a drug that you can get yeah, addicted to. So, well, it's a physiologically manufactured drug, I guess. I don't know. So, <laughs> anyway, a little criticism about. Yeah, uh, I guess I don't our, don't quite follow it. Uh, anyway, I thought it was important to bring up. You know, we're not all we're not always uh, infallible. I like the feedback. Yeah, it was it was actually a lot better than the one previous to that. Uh, remarking upon another poster on Point Break by a Jonathan Bishop, who said uh, about the other commenter, "The fucking grammar in these posts is abs- are absurd." <laughs> so, <laughs> so he commented on the grammar of the posts. Yeah, about YouTube. another individual who commented on our. Uh, oh, he was saying <laughs> that Broderick wasn't drunk. He not being used to driving on the opposite side of the road. Well, was he, he wasn't used to when it. he went over the wrong side out of habit. So, you know, <laughs> sounds like do. Google Translate put that one in. There. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, this week, our film is the Kung Fu cult classic, The Five Venoms. 
released in 1978. Little plot rundown here. The dying master of the powerful Poison Clan dispatches his last pupil, Yan Tae, I don't know if I pronounced that right, on a crucial mission. Worried that the skills he has taught are being used to evil ends, he orders Yan to trace a retired colleague and warn him that the fortune he has amassed from the clan's activities is under threat from the five from five of his former pupils, each an expert in his own lethal combat style. Yan must discover the whereabouts and the true identities of these masked warriors and decide which, if any, he can trust to join him in his mission. So the five deadly venoms, uh, just just to split hairs, here's something from the internet, which we all know is the, uh, is the harbor of all truth. And it's what's the difference between poison and venom? Because it's the poison clan. Right, but they're called the dead five, the five deadly ve- venoms. Well, I think that's really a translational issue. No, I don't think the actual so. the actual the strict translation of the Chinese title Wudu is the five poisons. Okay, even if it's the five poisons, then it's wrong again uh, because poisons are substances that are toxic, cause harm if swallowed or inhaled. Venoms are generally not toxic if swallowed and must be injected under the skin by snakes, spiders, etc. into tissues normally protected by the skin in order to be toxic. So here you have the centipede. Uh, what's what, let me let me look up the five deadly venoms here. We got the centipede, the snake, the yep. scorpion, lizard, and toad. And so I'm yeah. going to say centipede venom, snake venom, mm-hmm. scorpion venom, lizard. I'm not familiar with a poisonous or venomous lizard. Are you? Well, I think sometimes uh, lizards are considered poisonous that their bites easily cause infection. Okay. So is, that's not venom, but that would be like toxicity. Not, not, but I think you could certainly say it's toxicity. I mean, you can split hairs on exactly what the definition is. But if anything that's entered your body, no matter what the root, can cause harm to your person because of its very nature, I, I, I would say it is the equivalent of a poison. But toad, definitely poisonous. Certainly, uh, there's certainly poisonous toads. And tough. You ever try to step on a toad? It's like stepping on a rock. No, I haven't really stepped on toads. Have you stepped on toads? No, I never have stepped on toads. All right. I think they would be like slippery and they would just kind of squirt out from under your boot. I don't know. Uh, Well, something would squirt out from under your boot. I don't know if it would be the, <laughs> the toad as a whole. So first time you'd seen this, had you watched kung fu films? You know, I'm not really Before. a big... I never really hunted out kung fu films and uh this is one reason i wanted to do one just to maybe get my put my toe in the old swimming pool this is part of what my weird pick is to you know go outside maybe a genre i'm not terribly familiar with and uh check it out and uh so i'm not but i was really impressed by the storyline and the action and the character and the acting all around i really enjoyed this film and thinking about I mean, this is from a huge production house that made tons of great Kung Fu movies, like the Shaw Productions or something like that. Right. And uh, and uh, uh, the director, uh, or Chang Che, supposedly did some really great uh, action Kung Fu movies, one of the great directors of those. And uh, I think I might actually go see some more of his work, because I was really impressed by this one. There, uh, when I, back in the 80s, when I was a kid, there used to be uh, Saturday... Kung Fu Theater on KSTW. 
I don't know if you remember that. No, you were talking about it earlier, which actually your discussion of that sort of piqued my interest in what exactly is Kung Fu? What's the genre? Maybe read a little bit, which led me to this this film. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, uh, what do you call it? What, I guess what we might call it here is exploitation. But it's not, it's just sort of uh, pulpy, uh, churned out. It's kind of like the Westerns. Yeah, it's a genre of action movie. Yeah, and they crank just shit tons of them out. A lot of the same tropes. Like, I remember one of my favorite kung fu films as a kid, and it was like this. I think it was riffing off of this movie. I, I'm pretty sure it came after this. I think this set like the precedent. But it was like the ninjas of the five winds or something like that. Or, mm. And they were all uh, all the ninjas were like there was like the fire ninjas and the gold ninjas. And they all kind of had like the water ninjas and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, which were all based on their fighting technique. And you can definitely get that. I don't know if this is the first where you take animal forms i think it's kind of a thing in kung fu where you take like animal forms and build whole martial arts around some kind of improvised style yeah uh, the the styles in this movie were just made up by the yeah. filmmakers but i think there's maybe some influences in actual martial arts that sort of take names from animals no these were just sort of super ultra stylized right totally made up styles just for the necessary for the plot this idea of these five dangerous poisonous sort of in generalities animals yeah exactly uh so i remember watching those films as a kid and it was a way to kill saturday afternoons when you're 13 14 and don't have a car and stuck home with your parents you can just you know i kind of and no internet because i wasn't raised with the internet you were raised uh, with web TV. No, no, web TV was even uh, after your day. Web TV, that was wow. That was that was painful. That was worse than surfing the web on your phone, like your old <laughs> digital or your old flip phone. It was worse yeah. than that. It it's like the internet awful. without pornography. It just doesn't really need to exist. Oh my god, I don't know. My parents had it. I don't know what the hell were they. I had to search for a job on web TV once. It was mm. excruciating. And then fax my resume anyway. So uh, you really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, I yeah. gotta, I gotta admit, it was. Uh, I didn't have the most optimal viewing experience, and I did get yeah. lost in the film because I, I watched it on my phone oh, at Jesus. night when I was in bed because oh, I just no. didn't have the time to do it, yeah. and so I had to break it up into like three or four viewings, and uh, I'd fall asleep during like half of it. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, – I can't say it was the most continuous, cohesive viewing experience. Yeah, that's too bad. And you said you, you, you listened to the dub version. And I watched the dub for a while. And uh, a lot of times with these dub movies, I like to turn on the uh, subtitles too just to see how they sync up. And uh, the subtitles had tons more information in them. And I believe the dub was just a re- was a poor translation or a simplified translation. And there was just so much more information in the subtitles. I ended up went back and I restarted it uh, watching the uh, the original language version, which is the subtitles. And I think it really helped clear up some of the confusion because this movie gets started, gives you a lot of information quickly. And then it sort of, there's some subterfuge about who's who in the middle of the film. And uh, it's uh, it can be a little confusing without some real careful viewing I mean, what the filmmakers want you to know and what the filmmaker wants to remain a mystery at any given point in time. 
So, but part of the charm when I was a kid watching kung fu movies was the dubbing. Uh, the dubbing, and I don't know who who would typically dub those movies. I used to think it was like Australians because they're kind of close to Hong Kong or something. But this was a pretty Western Anglo uh, dub. But part of it was just kind of the, I wouldn't call it poor dubbing, uh, cheesy dubbing, which I enjoyed. It made, makes things campy because these movies are kind of campy. Uh, they're over the top. You know, the, 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 the sound effects of the kung fu fighting is part of the hilarity in watching a kung fu film because it's so, uh, you know, ridiculous when you're hitting somebody in the arm and it, it sounds like two by four smacking into each other. Yeah, it's interesting the difference in the sound effects. They were pretty similar between the dub and the, the original version. They were just louder. All the smacks. So they're a little more obtrusive in the dub version, I found. And uh, like, you know, when you're when you're moving fast, you can actually hear the wind. You know, you're, you're, you're slicing through the wind. Yeah. Uh, th- that stuff I just I love about Kung Fu movies. The thousand and, and to, hands. And to be honest, I don't think I if I had the optimal viewing pleasure, I would have really wanted to watch this uh, in the original language. It's one of those foreign films I just wouldn't want to do. Because well, I think of, I think you might think that, but I think you'd, you'd probably find it to be wrong. Uh, nostalgia's strong in me. No, no, I, I understand the nostalgia, nostalgia, but it seems like the movie sort of, since it's sort of an action trope, and there's a lot of uh, uh, sort of stereotypical people put into it character-wise, I don't know if it needs to be camped up additionally. I can understand that you have a fondness for where they take the, the dub and they dumb it way down so they can make the words fit in people's mouths. And yeah, that's fine. But it's I just fine. don't think the movie really needs to be dumbed down necessarily. I thought some of the characters, I thought you really end up, the characters were really nicely developed, even though they were, in a certain sense, a little two-dimensional by the very well, nature of action. But I really found myself, by the final fight scene between four of the Venoms and the and the pupil, Yang, I found myself really caring about each one of those characters and their different motivations for being where they were. I, I guess maybe uh, I wasn't as serious watching this as you were, which sounds like the case because uh, uh, I've been inundated with these sort of types of, of films. And for me, it, it's not like I'm not – maybe I didn't give it a serious viewing and uh, whatever, but I still enjoyed it. You know, I enjoy yeah, the, I thought, I thought it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty enjoyable. I enjoy the wire work. I enjoy that high wire work stuff, which is – gone on to acquire sort of a chic amongst modern filmmakers who grew up watching Hong Kong kung fu movies. And the biggest uh, nod or homage is probably The Matrix, which uh, camped out on kung fu sensibilities uh, pretty much for every fight scene in that film. And, uh, you know, and it it kind of uh, gave it more of a legitimacy and I think that's part of the, the the science fiction element in it that uh, you're not bound by physics in the Matrix. Uh, Do you think so, that's air you're breathing, Matthew? Uh, there's some like physicists or somebody who wasted a bunch of taxpayer money trying to figure out like if we're actually computer generated uh, consciousness in a gigantic shared environment. I, I doubt he wasted on. too much federal dollars on that. I hope not. 
That is a the, waste uh, the, of money. The, the, the grant review process is pretty stringent on government uh, grants. You can't just throw any bullshit up there and get it funded. Uh, I don't know. To me, that seems like a step away from uh, looking for E.T., which does get quite a bit of money. And uh, I... Oh, my God. Are you shitting all over uh, extraterrestrial life searches? What is that organization? Uh, uh, SETI. SETI. Yeah. I am a little bit. I, I find it... Oh, that's too uh, bad. I find it kind of a futile endeavor. So Why is it futile? I mean, you just look at the, the facts, especially with all the, the explosion of extrasolar planetary uh, systems it, just over the last decade. You got to go, there is certainly other intelligent life out there. It's just a well, matter see, of space and I'm, time separation. I'm a RF engineer by trade. And so when I start looking at link budgets and signal to noise ratios. Oh yeah. It's and pretty bad. uh trying to uh even f- like even transmit a single signal like a couple hundred kilometers, yeah. let alone a couple hundred light years uh with a conventional RF system and I'm like what the fuck is the point? If you even got something that made any sense, uh, you wouldn't have the fidelity to even you know. Well the thing is the thing of SETI is you don't need you hardly need any data to be transmitted. You just need something to clearly not be a natural phenomenon. Yeah, that's... Uh, so it can yeah. be real simple. It can just be a couple of bits. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it's pretty unlikely, but it just seems it seems uh, sort of um, that maybe we should throw a couple of radio telescopes up there and look around. Yeah. All right. So again, back to what the point was I making? It's 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 pointless to try to uh, figure out if we're really living in the matrix or not. Yeah. Anyway. And we got so, there because of kung fu influence on modern films correct. from the Hong Kong uh, yeah. movies from the seventies and eighties, which right. this is so, one of the one of the prime examples people throw around this movie. Uh, other, I think you know a lot of. I think the Matrix stepped up action quite a bit. Because action looks a lot different than it did 20 or 30 years ago. Action back then was a lot, oh, I always think of, you know, like the old Die Hard movies and things like that. But now, like, the fight scenes are highly stylized in yeah. films. And to be quite honest with you, I like the, the fights in this movie because they're simpler. They're more straightforward. They don't, not everybody's flying around on a wire 24-7. The wire is, is uh, the only character, only one character uses the wire extensively. That's the gecko. And the other ones uh, yeah. are just used here and there for particular scenes where a lot of their power is harnessed. Like you'll see the the toad uses the wire a couple times where he deflects great amounts of energy because of his tough skin. Right. Yeah, he has some tough skin. I guess was that the point of all yeah. his tortures? The thing is, he's sort of uh, he's sort of uh, invincible, except for so, his one weak spot. Now, I have no idea where they got that idea from. Yeah, Toad's having one weak spot. <laughs> no, no, no. A, a great hero that has only one oh. weak spot on their entire body. Yeah. You're talking about Smog and the Hobbit, right? Yeah, that's that right. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. All right. So as far as my uh, literary consciousness goes back, I don't go any further back that to Greek myth yeah. or whatever. I can't. So, do. yeah. So, I mean, he's basically the Achilles character for this movie. Yeah. Which is and fine. There's no problem with that. It's a pretty cool idea. Might as well. he, it's a good story. I like people using it over again. No reason not to steal from Greek mythology. 
So I don't want to get wrapped up in the plot because, uh, to be honest, I, I read through a comprehensive plot review, and and in the words of Lebowski, a lot of ins, a lot of outs. I thought the plot uh, was really good, and I, I I don't really want to just run roughshod over it because it can be a little confusing at times. But I enjoy the interplay of the five Venoms as they try to make their alliances in order to get at the treasure, which we never even find out what it is. Yeah, what is the treasure? It's, it's like the MacGuffin. Known. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a, yeah it's just a thing to motivate the uh, it motivates both the evil and the good characters. Well, and it's simply it's a just, goal that they must work towards. Well, and, it's uh, tech. It's technically accumulated wealth by that former master of the Poison Clan. I mean, that's just, you just let's just assume it's a cash box. It doesn't have to be any more than that. I Maybe guess. it's just a suitcase with a big glowing light in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and speaking of uh, speaking of uh, rip off artists of the kung fu genre, uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, Kill Bill. I think what, what what was the clan called in there? It was like uh, I'm I looking at it here. Um, it was like the, the, the Viper, what was, I'm, I'm yeah, maybe desperately trying to find it here online, but yeah, he borrowed that for, uh, the whole group that Uma Thurman ran around with, you know, oh, to her becoming a mom. fighters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, he borrowed that, but yeah, maybe he, get, maybe he got the whole MacGuffin thing from the five deadly venoms it's hard to say I heard they use some of the music from this movie was used in uh in the kill bill oh really movies that makes as well, sense yeah. yeah yeah anyway so uh they're looking for the treasure of this former master mm-hmm. and so you don't know who i guess that's the gimmick right they all have those uh insane clown posse masks on there at the beginning yeah so. they're uh basically uh Masks that are styled after face paint that's in some traditional forms of Chinese uh, theater. Right. Juggalo theater, I believe it's called. Yeah, it's a little bit of a juggalo thing. I I like the way that, uh, (laughs) I mean, at the beginning, it gives you a lot of the background really fast and fierce. And it's really, I found it wasn't really explained clearly by the dub. The the information really was only in the subtitle. Yeah. That's the part mainly I watched twice with the dub and with the subtitle. And it sort of gives sets up the groupings of of the uh, of the five venoms that the centipede and the snake are sort of buddies because they trained at the same time, and the toad and the gecko are buddies because they trained at the same time, and that the scorpion was unknown to all of them. That's why they don't know who the scorpion is. That's why right. he's the mystery character throughout most of this film, and it's not revealed to the very end, even though it's. You sort of get the feel for it after a while. Who it is? Yeah, no, it's uh, like oh, there's this uh, one cop that Ma. seems to be. Yeah, he seems to be uh, uh, insinuated into the plot more than you would have normally expected. So yeah, mm-hmm. it kind of goes without saying. They're not really hard to discover. There's no real big twists in the film. You know, it's like, oh, my God, he's the scorpion. Wow. It's nicely forecast. I thought it was interesting that one of the uh, one of the that the the toad ended up dying before the other before the final battle scene. I thought that was sort of surprising. And not due to infection, which I would have assumed that he would have died of. (laughs) Why would why would he die of infection? Uh, Because you've had uh, all the skin on your back completely uh, seared off. By a oh, but he was he was sleeping on that incredibly sterile of a uh, bunch of hay. Yeah, I'm sure there was that. no animal fecal matter or anything on on the well, hay. 
thing is, it was only around for a couple of days before they. Uh, I, I like the suffocation scene. That is a great way to suffocate somebody with water and rice paper. You know, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to keep that in mind. That's a, that'd be a good way to get rid of. Somebody. When you go on your hooker killing spree, you yeah, try that one out. Okay. I'll use pages of the Bible. And, uh, <laughs> Jack Daniels. I'll be the Jack Daniels killer. Right, and then soak it in goat's blood. That might work. I, Come on, I, I man! I'm not might. some sort of fucking sicko. <laughs> but I also find I also find all the intrigue in the court to be rather fascinating, with the the governor character and uh, how everybody's sort of motivated by their se- own selfishness. Yeah, that's a and, bit of a corrupt court, isn't it? Just a little corrupt. Well, when you when you like, China's corrupt, <laughs> humanity's you, corrupt. When you beat the uh, defendant. And uh, and uh, the bailiff takes his hand and makes him sign the confession mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> in front of about 30 witnesses. <laughs> yeah, I like how they called the torture device the red chest. Yet they, they, and the, yet they heated up that super hot like sort of piece of plate mail and put it on his back, not his No, chest. it was the red vest. I, oh, it, was it was the red vest. Oh, it was the yeah. coat. I, in the dubbed, it was like the oh, in, coat or oh, something. In the subtitle, it was called the red belly. Oh, I think it was yeah. interchangeable. Whatever's exposed, yeah. you could just yeah. go either way. I wonder if that's an actual torture device. That's fucking terrible. Uh, man, China, I think I think the Chinese competed with the Romans for really horrible tortures. I, yeah. I think that's, uh, yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. The Iron Maiden, uh, which is sort of like the Brass Maiden or the Gold Maiden in this film, was very... Some nice craftsmanship with that torture device, but uh, they use that. Oh, they on called the it. They too. called it the uh, case of a thousand points or something in yeah. the dub. Okay, all right, the Iron Maiden. <laughs> yeah, basically, it was an Iron Maiden. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the whole thing is, is like I've been, I forget where. I think I've like gone to some museum in the UK, and you know they have the Iron Maiden there. But it was this device that they used to, I guess, put you in, and it was like the. It, the the facade of it or the outside of it was like a woman. I think that's why it was called the Iron Maiden. And it had uh, these nails, basically, sharp spikes uh, that would just basically just touch the top, the, the t- you just touch your skin. And so if you moved a little bit, you would totally be impaled by, you know, the 100 or 200 so spikes inside the the whatever it is, the coffin or sarcophagus or whatever they put you in. Yeah, it's a great way of torture. That's that's a classic torture where you make people stand as long as they possibly can. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know how you would die in there. I think you just like maybe maybe actually hang yourself. You just give out, and your neck would, you know, your head would just kind of dangle, or you mm-hmm. dangle your. You probably pass from- out eventually. You might just bleed out from the. Oh uh, yeah. Good old infection. So we're just good old infections, yeah. Yeah, but he was only in there for a little bit, like about thirty seconds, and then they dumped him back out, and he had a, a nice array of little fake blood needle points all over his body. Yeah, the funny thing is that they were using that in order to break his great strength because he had his Achilles heel or Achilles ear canal in this case. Oh, was that what that, that was? Yeah, oh, I missed that, that. But uh, yeah, because so the uh, one of the scorpion's great abilities is he has these like throwing star things. And uh, he throws them from off scene into the ears of the toad. But and, they like uh, hit his ears on both sides. Like they like boomerang around and, and whip yeah, into his yeah. head. Yeah, he's, he's 
He's fucking amazing with those things. <laughs> and that just happened to be his weak spot. The, like the oh, the ears? Ear. Isn't that yeah. everybody's weak spot? I mean, you know. No, it was the it, toad's weak spot. He could still hear after that, too. So I don't know. Well, I don't know if I don't think they pierced his eardrum. It's just probably the inside. There just had to be a part of his skin that was uh, right. somehow penetrable in order to I break his that. power. And once he was broken, then he became pervious to all sorts of, uh, of injury. Before, oh. you could have put him in that Iron Maiden type thing, and he would come out unharmed because his skin would be too strong. Once his strength was broken, then right. he could be injured in normal ways. So the big fight uh, at the end was the, the – and I don't know if that's common in all kung fu films where you you know, you know have the big uh, – what would it be? Coup d'etat? I don't know. Just the big the – big, uh, It was a big throwdown. What do they call it in wrestling? The uh, cage match. No, there was like some deal where it was like in wrestling you would have like twenty wrestlers in the ring, and they would keep throwing each other out. And like once you spilled out over this over the the ropes, then you were mm-hmm. disqualified. And so you know it always come down to like two dudes trying to live lift like haystack Calhoun up. And Hold on, are we talking about side. gay porn? Or are we talking about wrestling? <laughs> I don't know, man. You go tell tell Hulk Hogan you thought uh, wrestling was a little gay. See what happens to you. Oh, I can just imagine uh, Hulk Hogan's thighs thrusting in and out. He might he might sit you down, strap you down, and make him watch his sex tape over and over again. Oh God! I think I saw a little <laughs> bit of that online, like on uh, TMZ or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, he was really embarrassed, but it's like you know, Hulk. I think. Uh, Porn aficionados and porn addicts will probably do everything they can to avoid your sex tape. So I really wouldn't worry about it getting out. There. I remember the scene. I remember from what I saw, and I think they had edited it to uh, avoid the like the most uh, explicit parts. Is that it was him? Like after he had got done fucking his friend's wife. Uh, he, oh, like, was that who it was? Like, I wasn't even. He's got attention. yeah. I was like they, he went over to a friend's house, a couple. It's a friend of his, and they had a big barbecue dinner or something. And then the friend said, "I oh, go go into the bedroom and fuck my wife." And so he went and did that. And afterwards, <laughs> he's got like his underwear on. And he leaves out a he lets out a big belch, and he goes, "Oh man, that uh, barbecue is really uh, acting up in my stomach." What the fuck? After he got done, I just imagine Wait. his post coitus belch. <laughs> Wait, so so the guy said, go fuck my wife. He goes and does yeah. it. And then, like, yeah. does he come back out and he goes, hey, man, that was just a joke? <laughs> was that what, I mean, no, no. I they... think, no, that guy, the guy, his friend has a history of that. He likes to be cuckold, and I think his wife likes getting uh, fucked by strange guys. So it works out real well. Really? That's not just a porn trope? That's actual No, some guys like, like to have, the, they, really, they really get off on the idea of their wife stepping out on it. You don't even have to be present. You just like the idea. Really? I don't know. Some people get off on that. Like I'm thing. sure they have probably perfectly healthy childhoods growing up. Look, you so. know, look, if Hulk Hogan showed up at your doorstep and he had one thing on his mind. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd probably call the cops. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Would it be one the thing evil- on his mind was, oh, you got some barbecue cooking? I smell something good. <sighs> Would it be the evil Hulk Hogan or the good Hulk Hogan? I could never tell them apart. Oh, uh, well, no, no. The evil Hulk Hogan wore a, bl- wore a black shirt, and the good oh. Hulk Hogan wore a, wore a yellow shirt. So oh, you'd, you'd okay. be able to find out. So if he came to my doorstep in like a yellow wasp striped tank top, then I would be <laughs> totally flummoxed. I would be like, are you the evil or the not, or the good Hulk Hogan? I don't know. Well, yeah. it depends if he had like a, one of his eyebrows twitched <laughs> or, he, or he had a little Fu Manchu mustache. Uh, 
One thing I, I okay, back to the movie. One thing I did want to bring up is that uh, I'm looking at like all the cultural references and influences, and for some reason, this is the the Wu Tang Clan, which uh, are, were big uh, fans of this movie and kung fu films in general so much that they actually named their rap outfit after uh i don't know what wu-tang it just sounds kind of like uh almost a derogatory well they're chinese right the wu-tang clan yeah (laughs) chinese via like brooklyn or wherever the hell they're from anyway but they're like really into that and i think they sampled quite a bit of of stuff from old kung fu movies uh, also, uh, Tupac Shakur's second studio album, Strictly for My N I G G A Z. If you catch my what, I'm sorry, what? what I'm, I'm terrible at spelling. What, what was that? N I G G A Z. So uh, there's a I, period after each one of the. Yeah, letters? it's an acronym. Uh, and the final track on that album uh, is the five, five Deadly Venoms with a Z at the end of it. So, oh. big fan. It's one of those things that rappers have glommed onto, and I don't quite know why. I don't know quite. It's the same mystery that uh, abounds with the rappers and their affection for Phil Collins and Hennessy Cognac. I don't, I don't Phil quite get Collins. That. I, well, yeah. Look, I, I don't. I understand booze. I mean, who can't be behind booze? <laughs> and the cognac's a, a fine type of uh, distilled spirit. But uh, Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Are they they Mike and the Mechanics fans? Yeah, big, big uh yeah, the the uh, big in the hip hop community. I don't know why. Maybe it's because he's like the the nerdiest, dorkiest white guy who who is like a pop sensation that but then they like, they passed on Weird Al Yankovic and they went right to Phil Collins. I kind of see it as like the flip side flip side of lumberjack bearded hipsters listening to Kanye West. That's kind of what I see it as. It's like the most. No, I always they're just pricks. <laughs> That's what pricks I fucking, listen to. I God, I fucking hate that. Why is like I you know why are hipsters so, so infatuated with hip hop artists that I know they don't really listen to that much? I, I, I'm calling them all out. I think it's bullshit. And listening to. I guess an experience that is just so foreign to them that it gives them somehow some kind of like anti-racist street cred. I, I don't get it. I so don't get hipsters' affection for. I'm pretty Jay-Z sure it has something to do with getting their dick wet. I'm just going to take a wild stab. Really? At it. I don't know how it works, but I think it works for them. You mean getting their dick wet by some other like emaciated vegan dreadlocked? white chick is that i have no, I have no what idea they go man. For? look there's only one motivation that truly gets young men to do whatever it takes and that's the one thing is getting pussy I don't and know. i'm sure there is something to do with pussy somewhere in there the math is too complicated you know i'm way past my differential equations knowledge but it's in there somewhere it's hidden it's hidden behind the equations i think it's some just ironic ironic uh uh, twist on the whole Phil Collins uh, cult of Phil Collins. <laughs> it all comes back down to Phil Collins, as we all know. <laughs> it's like the super string theory of social uh, social right. sciences. 
So, yeah, that's one of the great mysteries of the universe. I don't care about SETI or finding extraterrestrial life. All I want to know is why hip-hop guys love kung fu movies, Hennessy, and Phil Collins. If somebody yeah. can write me and clear that one up. <laughs> on, on YouTube? Yeah, or <laughs> whatever. I want to know. Uh, oh. Get uh, Leonard Nimoy out, dust him off, and, and have him make it in search of, because uh, this is an urban mystery. I need to know. Anyway. All right. Uh, all right. So are, we're, I looked up on Rotten Tomatoes, and we're kind of hurting for review material. I got Although, a great review. I think I we're know which to... one it is. So, oh, good. Uh, wh- what Here is the review? Where's the review? Who's it? Where's it's it from? from your old hometown of Laramie. Yeah, Laramie, Wyoming. And what year? I think I was actually uh, there during. This was written in 1999. Oh, oh I had left like three mo- a month before this review was written out of Laramie. <laughs> so, wow. All right. Well, Small we'll uh, hear what Robert Rotten has to say after our intro music. <laughs> This movie was reviewed back in 1999 in the great state of Wyoming in these United yeah. States in the lovely, beautiful college town of Laramie. He, Very uh, liberal. Uh, yeah, the liberal, the liberal enclave of Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, Mr. Robert Roten. Kind of almost right. Boy, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I really like his writing style, and I really like this review, even though it's a somewhat middling review. You know, be quite honest. I might check out his. It's called Laramie Movie Scope. Is his website. He's been writing for the past 15 years. Still, I mean, he still has. I hope he is reviews. because this is a this is a really well written review. All right, and well, it I wanted makes to point really out great salient points. He uh, he he rented this from the Laramie Blockbuster, which I actually rented movies from back in the day. I remember mm-hmm. uh, going there because uh, more my first year because I didn't like I was too busy and I didn't make a lot of friends there. But uh, yeah, so I've been to the Blockbuster where uh, the Five Deadly Venoms was rented. I didn't see it on the shelves, but I probably wasn't looking for it at the time. Oh, Rot- Roten had it out for a long time. Yeah, it's like that fucker. It's like, hey, do you got the five deadly venoms? Yeah, this motherfucker, uh, Robert Roten, has had it out for the past six months, and uh, you're never getting it. So, All right, let's get down to his points. Which I, I just can't say how well written this, this wow. is. It's Man, so much hopefully. clearer than all the fucking literary garbage that uh, that uh, Ebert throws at us. So every other uh, review is a piece of shit, right. uh, which is fine. As we say, you write thousands of reviews, you know, 50% is a pretty good batting rate. Anyhow, he says, uh, I've heard about this movie for years, but when I when you live in a small town like Laramie, Wyoming, the chances of finding a Hong Kong action film like The Five Venoms on the video shelves are slim. Um, but he says, uh, after watching this film, and we should point out that in 1999, this would have been the previous release because uh the movie that uh i rented and by way of osmosis you rented yeah uh was a, a new transfer done and i think in like 2006 or 2003 uh with uh i think the original uh, dub but uh new subtitles which i watched and i thought were really good and the quality of the transfer was excellent yeah it was i think so it, it, it must have found a really good. great print because that yeah. looked really good. And there's a Blu-ray, too, which must be extremely great. It's almost almost too good, considering some of the makeup. 
It's too good for you, uh, listeners, to be watching. So you must yeah, graduate you through the ranks you write, of film you watch, You read that old DVD release from 1999. Yeah, God damn it. Don't think you're worthy of touching the Blu-ray. I wonder if that fucking that blockbuster <laughs> can't be open any longer. Oh, no, no. I don't even know of any blockbusters that open. Actually, when I Did see totally the occasional one, they should. Uh, they're sh- they were shitty, and I wished them the worst. But every now and then, I'll drive by, and it's usually like, oh, Blockbuster going out of business sale, or they're selling all their, their stuff, all their inventory. And then I'm just astounded that there's still one left that's that's gotten this far to actually a closing out sale. I'm like, really? They're still like like lumbering on you know, into uh, oblivion. And I think Redbox was the death blow. Uh, I oh. think that that pretty much did them all in so yeah finally a cheaper way to get them locally if you don't like the mail or yeah so you don't you don't well you go up to a robot as a poor like uh overweight girl working behind the sour patch kids at the counter the blockbuster it just it feels a little bit it feels better i don't feel so uh so bad about the poor staff that had to work at those blockbusters you know i've, I've never done the red box thing that's I guess I right. just always use Netflix if I really need to get something. And if I can't find it, I just – and if you can't find it on Netflix, you're not going to find it in a red box. Yeah. So I no, really red box are okay if you're going there at 3 a.m. to get your movie. But if you're going there at 5 p.m. on a Friday in a grocery store, you mm-hmm. might as well just slit your wrists. It, 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 people don't understand how it works. And so they go up there and they choose their movie off of the machine, which it's it's so painful. It's just awful. It's like just I almost want to handle my phone as I go pick your fucking movie out on my phone and then let me get my movie and then you can come in behind me because there's like, oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks good. And I was like, really, you don't know how Redbox works. You don't have a computer at home. Can't go reserve your movie online. What's wrong with you? Anyway, stupid fucks. Uh, Anyways, Robert sums up his movie watching experience rather succinctly in this paragraph. It turns out that this movie is very similar to other Hong Kong action films. Bad dubbing. Bad sound effects, thin plot, poor makeup, really fake looking fight scenes. You know the routine. What it does have, however, is this really operatic, over the top story with all kinds of overwrought drama, backstabbing, and treachery. It is not subtle, but it is effective. And I think that's right. We sort of, I think we sort of uh, ran a little roughshod over all the uh, the politicking that goes on in this movie because maybe it's a little hard to follow, especially with the dub. Well, it's really pulpy. It's total, and that's kind of a, a hallmark of pulp is uh, over the top, uh, operatic, all that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's not subtle. Uh, he says the style of the movie reminds him of John Woo films, like The Killer, and he says it's understandable since Woo worked with the director of uh, of Five Venoms, uh, Chi Chang. I didn't know that, and. Um, he says uh, this movie, which we didn't make a real clear point, was produced by the Shaw Brothers Studio, which is a really the Shaw Brothers Studio, which is a really big kung fu movie studio from the seventies and eighties. Um, he says, and I think this is really important for you particularly, is that probably the main reason this film is not terribly impressive to a Westerner is the the incredibly bad dubbing, which I think is true. I think the dubbing is, the translation for the dub is just not very good. And uh, they must have redone it for the subtitles because it was, I'll just say it again, it was tons clearer with the subtitles. Okay. He also says some of the Foley work was overwrought, and you mentioned that too, like some of the fight backs, wax and backs, which I think were 
while not incredibly subtle, were not quite over the top on the original the original sound mix. Yeah, but um, I enjoyed it. I mean, that's you know that's kind of what I expected. Uh, what's too? There's, but there's just a with the, with the sub. There's a deeper, less campiness that's brought to the film. Oh, I know. I'm aware. Uh, he says um, they. You could tell that this movie had a pretty tight filming schedule, and he said uh, Chang didn't have the luxury of a lot of takes, but he did have some really skilled fighters, which is not too surprising for that time in Hong Kong. He says, and here's here's an insight that I really like that plays on what you said earlier. Um, the only way you can view the fight scenes as great is if you view them as a unique art form like pro wrestling. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, I think that's a great insight. Well, what it is, it's like choreographed stunt work. And mm-hmm. so what you're watching is... Uh, it's not a fight. No. Uh-uh. Nobody's... No. no it's acrobatics. I mean, an actual kung fu fight wouldn't really look like this. <laughs> oh, God, no. What, they're not using toad style? <laughs> no. No. They look more like MMA, where they're just all crumpled up and on the floor, kind of trying to f- punch each other. That's kind of my impression. So. Um, there's a misstep in this review, though, I think, uh, for Robert's insight, is that he said he had a problem with the supernatural elements of the film, such as the gecko and toad style not really being grounded in the real world. And I don't see why there can't be a f- supernatural element of the story. It doesn't make any sense why that's, for some reason, decreases the value of the film. The film's pretty clear that these people have basically a magical powers of fighting. That's what makes them... Well, leaps and bounds uh, greater than every other human being. I, I just the food is pretty clear about that right from the get go. Why, why, why would Robert not accept that? I don't understand. It falls it falls into the realm of superherodom, really. I mean, superheroes yeah. have uh, magical powers, but they're not kind of the classical magical powers that we all think of, a la Lord of the Rings, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't quite understand why you would have a problem with that. Doesn't make any sense to me. It seems the the powers are consistent within the universe the the movie sets up. Uh, another thing he has problems with, which I think, is maybe give shows a little bit of a lack of. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. He says he complains about the MacGuffin, the treasure that we never see, and that there's two motivations. There's the motivation of greed that this treasure, whatever it is, is so great that it's worth your life and the lives of those around you, and the other thing is that it's so important that 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 the sins of the house be uh, somehow wiped clean by taking that treasure and converted it into charitable work, which is basically the dying wish of the old master that sends uh, the, the pupil out to find his, the five previous uh, graduates of the, of the house that, um, that somehow converting this treasure, ill gotten treasure into charitable works will absolve the sins of the house. I mean, it's pretty straightforward at the beginning. Those are the two motives. Yeah. It's a great treasure, and right. the house is sinned, and the only way to absolve the sins of the house is to disperse that treasure from your possession. I just don't it's, see why he would have a problem with that. I mean, that's a pretty basic can, plot element. It's a MacGuffin, sure, but it's just the way it is. Maybe he just thought it was a little overly contrived to set up sort of the machinations of this treachery. You know, this uh, skullduggery, if you will. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, they, he needed some sort of, I don't know, motivation 
for these five Venoms to come out of the woodwork and uh, challenge each other uh, on personal Yeah, I, I guess, I guess it's, you, you, if he accepts the fights for not really being fight, but a great choreographed dance of athleticism, why does he criticize the plot for being not a realistic plot, yeah. but a great uh, overreaching, uh, you know, good versus evil sort of tale? It's kind of a... a greed fa- versus it, charity. It's sort of a fairy tale, a little bit. It's kind well, of the a whole fairy movie tale is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's magical. Um, anywho, uh, that's pretty much the whole... I, I, well, I, I did criticize a couple of bits in the end. I thought it was a really, really nice, clearly written uh, review. Maybe because the it was like high school English language, not college <laughs> English. Right, and it's not from, uh, you know... It, 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 I'm sure a Robert Roten... I wonder if he wrote in uh, the Laramie Herald. I wonder if I've ever read any of his other stuff. But I don't uh, know. I'm gonna you be quite honest. He's gonna be on my list. I'm gonna put okay. him next to Canby as an alternate. Wow. To search for. I, I don't think he quite has the volume of the of Canby or Ebert though. So you may have. No, to. No, he doesn't. Look. We'll probably never see him again. But look, look, look! Of all, all these outside critics we bring in every once in a while, this is the one I've been most impressed by. Actually, to tell you the truth, it was me. I was writing under the name Robert Rotten and Laramie at the time. So. Uh, yeah. I should have known. I should have known. It doesn't sound like a real name. Who calls them? And you always liked Rotten dot com back yeah. in those days. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to fish for compliments. Bob here, Rotten. You just fell into my trap. Yeah, it was all me. I wrote this at the time. So. Well, you're an excellent author. You should write a book sometime. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So uh, the centipede guy. Uh, centipedes creep me the fuck out. I don't know. Like, of all the critters that they were trying to emulate, I was thinking about centipedes, and centipedes, like, freaking me out because uh, of this video I watched on YouTube, and it was, like, a one of these red Peruvian centipedes uh, doing in, like, a little white mouse. Somebody had fed it. And fucking centipedes are, man, they are vicious fuckers. I, they're, like, the meanest insect on the planet. I hope I never really? run into one. Oh, yeah. Just because it killed a mouse? It was gross. It was really disturbing. It's like one of the more Killing disturbing. Killing mice is always gross. I know. You do it for a living, too. I, I You should bring in a red Peruvian centipede and just, you know, see oh, what use happens. That. Sometimes, sometimes it, it, I think it'd be more expensive than compressed carbon dioxide. I think you're right. I think, uh, yeah. And you'd probably garner a little bit more uh, hatred if you posted it on the internet. So. Uh, I think that the uh, huge department at the university that oversees animal welfare might have a trouble with that. Especially if people were like placing bets, that would really get you into trouble too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that might be a violation of several federal agencies too. And uh, yeah, and then you would have like all the hip hop guys getting rid of their pit bulls and getting centipedes, you know. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know, because that might be a nice change. I don't think anybody would care too much about centipede abuse. Much better than dog abuse. If you got to abuse an animal, Michael Vick. Do you think he would have? He would have. He would have gone to the clink if he was uh, <laughs> fighting centipedes as opposed to pit bulls. I can't imagine there's any law against fighting insects, which actually is not a bad idea. I mean, what's see, what's illegal? You can't fight dogs. Yeah, that's you that's can't a good fight. One. You can't fight cocks, right? Uh, depends what outside you def- of gay porn. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it's actually not a bad idea. I think the gangster community might be interested in fighting large insects. They probably would. You could probably find males of some large insect species that k- try to kill each other on site. I remember as a kid, I used to take somehow take uh, like pick 
red ants off of a ant nest. I don't, I don't, they must've not been vicious or biting. I, th- I don't forget how I did it. And then I would go into the front and then I would pour them onto the black ants on uh, the tree and then they would fight it out. I don't know. It was, it was some weird little Machiavellian battle I had set up in my own yard and, well, uh, it's I'd, part of we've talked about in the fourth. Children need to experiment with this idea of power and cruelty in order to yeah. get some understanding of it. So insects, yeah, fighting insects. Nobody seems to. Uh, what about betta fish? Like those uh, Burmese betta fish, you know, that you can buy at the pet store. The fighting fish. Oh, I've uh, never heard of those. That's a good oh, yeah. idea too. I wonder if There's you get in trouble no for fighting that those. Either. Probably What's not. What's the limit? What's the limit? Well, people draw the line at all sorts of places, but I think fish and insects would probably be cool. Let's get really caught on. If it really caught on, then they'd probably end up outlawing it after a few years. But as long as you could, long as you could turn a profit in that time, it's not a bad idea. I'm starting to think about this. You know, if 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 the hip hop community starts making albums talking about centipede fighting, I think then you know, well, you know, I don't know on. if it'd really catch on. I mean, we tried this <laughs> with robots, all those robot fighting competitions. Oh uh, yeah, people got sick of that shit. So maybe this, maybe there's not really a, if it's not a mammal or, or maybe a, a, a bird yeah, that it doesn't f- satiate that bloodlust that's in people's hearts. Well, people like cute animals. They don't like ugly animals. So ugly animals have kind of, are kind of up shit crick when it comes to uh, human sensibility. Uh, they, they, they get the short, they get the short shaft. If you're an ugly. I think fish you, might work. But it's going to be a little harder work to you know do it because you have to do it in a tank and stuff. I don't know. Some bleeding heart will always like some ugly animal out there. Can't can't get away with any kind of fun. Well, you you tell me you wouldn't have a problem with organized fish fights. <laughs> I might have a problem with that if it got <laughs> big. It was like on ESPN three. I think I might have a problem. Like they put they tape razor blades on their like dorsal fin. <laughs> I might have a problem with that. I'll be honest with you. I think I would embrace the sur- surrealness of the whole thing. I think that would uh, certainly, yeah. yeah. I'm like, wow, certainly. this is crazy. Uh, you know, to satisfy human bloodlust. NFL isn't doing it anymore. Now we have to go to fish fighting. Yeah, the XFL didn't work out. Yeah, although back in Latin America, I think Pepsi and Coke have gotten in trouble for sponsoring rooster fights. You know, like, oh, yeah, or it's legal. Well, you can understand how some societies wouldn't have a problem with it. No, no. No. All right. Uh, anything else here about the five no. deadly venoms? We've kind of taken a few tangents. Um, but, Speaking uh, of authors. Yeah, we're going to. Okay, next week we're going to. Uh, it's my film. And so I'm making a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more uh, contemporary. And uh, Sideways, which I forget. the What is the director's name? Uh, he did. Uh, a bunch of movies I really like. Uh, he did about Schmidt. He did hmm. uh, Election, which I was kind of tossing around as as movies that I wanted to review because mm. we're kind of in this uh, Alexander Payne. We're sort of in this uh, rut of picking a new director every time. Is it a rut? I don't know. What do you want to call no, it? No, it is a it is a rut though. As we say, it's a it's a rut that only comes out of our own volition. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, anyway, and it's uh, about wine country in California and struggling mm-hmm. r- struggling writers and uh, yep. personal demons and all kinds of good stuff. And it's fucking and, funny. And uh, putting your dick in the butts of uh, plump uh, waitresses. Oh, Jesus. It's fucking hilarious. It's like one of the, <laughs> it's one of the funniest movies I've seen in, in a long time. 
Yeah. It, it wow, 2004, funny. it was that long ago. Holy We're shit. We're getting old, buddy. God damn. All right. Well, it starts at Paul Giamatti and uh, Thomas Hayden Church. It's awesome. So It's always uh, nice to see Thomas Hayden Church. So uh, Mark and I are trying to double up some podcasts and uh, get you through our uh, the baby gap, whatever. So anyway, keep them cranking out every week. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. We can call it. Don't worry, <laughs> man. You're going to be so confused over the next few weeks. You're just going to just going to be just like you have the thousand yard stare. Yeah, it'll it'll Lord probably Lord. be hard to remember that I even did a podcast at one time. <laughs> like my whole huh? life will have uh, have taken some sort of amnesiac turn. And, I think uh, I think that's how it happens. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just the way. And it you'll goes. call me up one day, and I'm like, "Who the fuck are you? I don't want yeah, anything. How'd you get my number? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So until next week, I guess. 